watching this later by stream or you are uh, a part of the room, we meet in a, um, uh, a Zoom room where we can have dialogue, not just monologue. Um, but, uh, of course, if you would like to be a part of that, you can find those links on the website. Um, you get all that information there. Um, I have, uh, this past week, thought a lot about the first of the year and, and how we approach uh, the new year and how so many of us think about things we need to do. Um, we think a lot about what we should do for God. We think a lot about, I need to change this. I need to do better at that. We, it's, very, it's a very human thing to do. And if you have any sincerity about you, and I hope you do, I mean, by all means, if you have any sincerity about you, any earnestness, any zeal, if there's any part of you that's hungry for God, um, you, you come to a, a, a natural break like a new year, and you think, how am I doing? What can I do better at? Um, and I, I, maybe it's my personality, maybe some of you understand, it's, it's very normal for me to go through this kind of list. What am I doing? What could I do better? Um, and I, I was thinking about that this morning because I was way behind on my study this week and I, almost as though the Lord nudged me and he said, um, while you're busy thinking about what you should do for me, why don't you take a moment and celebrate what I am doing for you? And in that moment, it's almost like I thought, yes, I mean, um, I am so focused, you know, I'm so zealous or earnest, uh, you understand, that, that do, I'm working for the Lord, I'm fighting for the Lord, I'm trying for the Lord, and, and I'm forgetting that God is fighting for me. In fact, um, God is doing a lot better job fighting for me than I am doing fighting for Him. I started thinking of that song, and um, if only I had a, a full band and a choir, I could sing it most beautifully, but <laughs> we sing it at First Church. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, uh, whatever, that cannot be shaken in the name of Jesus. Uh, anyway, I need the lyrics. Uh, uh, we will shout it out, shout it out. That phrase, God is fighting for us, pushing back the, it's, it's, God's doing a much better job fighting for me than I'm doing fighting for him. Um, he has, he has done so much for me um, that the, to do anything but live a life of praise is to miss something fundamental about the goodness of God. And for you to go into this new year with a heaviness of I should do this, I should do that, and chances are you probably should, um, it would be very healthy for you and me to remind ourselves that God's working for us. This isn't a one-sided relationship. Um, this is, um, well, let me re-say that. This actually is a one-sided relationship, but it's not our side that's doing the work. God is fighting for us. And because God is fighting for you, you should try and try again. You see, the motivating force in your life is not primarily that you, how shall I say, you get good enough to get God. You know, I'm, I'm going to be so good, God's going to have to save me. No, uh, that's not how righteousness is attained. Uh, on the other hand, this relationship is one where God has done so much for us. Uh, the least we can do is to try to do something small in return. The least I could do. The least I could do is this. The least I could do is repent. The least I could do is encourage. Um, that motivation changes from the heavy millstone of the uh, religious person who's trying to earn their salvation 
and stuck with their own report card. Um, I want to be one who celebrates what God is doing for me. And I, I want to tell all of you, God truly is fighting for you. It's not just... Uh, a song that the praise man sings. God is fighting for you. And I want to show you that here in the scripture. Um, and if possible, I want to convince you of it. I am going to direct your attention to Romans. And we're going to be reading in chapter number 8. And we're going to read here at verse number 31. But before we do that, I want to back up a little bit. And I want to show you some of the themes that all represent um, problems. Um, how we have relationship with God. Um, we have a father Abraham who discovered justification through faith and that faith triumphs. Um, we have been given a chance at new life through Jesus Christ. Therefore, through Jesus Christ, we are dead to sin, but alive to God. We are freed from the slavery of sins, of sin, and now we live as slaves to God. But hear me when I say he's a much better master than sin ever was. We're freed from the law. Sin had a great advantage in the law. And now the law cannot save from sin. But we have this problem. Okay, if the law cannot save from sin, how then are any of us saved? We are freed from the sin in our nature through the victory of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we have one in Christ. Nothing you are going through in any way will compare to the glory God is working in your life. And then Paul gets to our text we're going to read here together. Verse number 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Imagine the apostle saying, can't you look at the life, the ministry, the sacrificial death of Christ and see the heart of God? Do you think a God who loves you that much is just going to write you off? Verse number 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also ridden, arisen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Notice 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. How are we more than conquerors? Through tribulation, through distress, through persecution, through famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Even when they're killing you all day long and slaughtering you like sheep, even in that, you are more than conquerors. How? Through the love of Jesus Christ. 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is, if we were all in the same house, I'd make everybody say amen real loud. So say amen wherever, wherever you are. Amen. Um, so the Apostle Paul has led anyone who reads the book of Romans, he's led us through the, the systematic theology of justification by faith. And he has led us to understand that the curse of sin has been removed through the victorious life and redemptive covering of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can stand before God as if we had never fallen in sin from the Garden of Eden. We can stand before God with a clean conscience and a, a washed uh, bill, a record, shall we say, a bill of record. Um, we have the chance to live before Him as if we had never sinned. Imagine, imagine you growing up and never having a bad thought never saying a crossword, never having any moment where you miss the mark. That's what sin means, to miss the mark. Man, that's a high standard, isn't it? Yes. That's why you should, you know, you probably shouldn't go around talking about how you have committed no sin. Um, to miss the mark is very, very easy because it's not just a minimal standard. It's an ideal goal. Um, and when we miss the ideal we have missed the mark, the, the sin. Um, and if we stand in our own accomplishments, the Bible says it best, who can stand? If you're going to account sin, O oh Lord, if you're going to count the times when people miss the mark, who can stand? Now, every, every time you teach like this, there's a certain personality type that starts worrying that somebody is going to think they got away with sin. Someone's going to start, you know, preaching a, a, a cheap, a cheap grace, uh, and I, I, I'm as I get older, I'm not unsympathetic to that. Um, I think there's a tendency for us to want people to try and to be impatient with people who aren't trying. Uh, but here is the difference that grace works in our life. It's not that we haven't capacity for sin. It's that the moment our desires of the heart change, the moment we no longer want the ways of sin, the Lord is willing to let us try anew and afresh and cover us. And we look as worshipers, as sons and daughters, we look to Jesus Christ with a heart of love, a heart of worship, a heart of praise. We look to him that way, not the fear of, you know, judgment, not the fear of the tyrant, but this heart of love. Um, stop looking at me, look at him. Um, that's the kind of the, 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 the change. The moment you will change your intentions, desires, and longings. If you will reorient your heart, if you'll repent, turn from going in this direction and turn and going in that direction. God loves you so much that every time you start going that way, he will clip the record clear of you and throw it into, you know, as we say, a sea of forgetfulness. He will let you start clean and fresh. And every time you turn your heart back to God, there is something in the heart of God that is... It is redemptive in its very core. He has a redeemer's heart. It was not his will that any would perish, 
Uh, he is the father that watches for the prodigal son to come home and rejoices and runs to meet and celebrates a repentant heart. This is, this is the heart, the heart of God. He has a heart to forgive and our goal is not righteous perfection. Our goal is focus upon the one who is righteousness and perfection. Our goal is to attain a righteousness that is impossible for us. How do we do that? By turning our heart to God, by casting our cares upon him, by repenting of the old ways and standing with his covering over our life, over our circumstances, over our mind, over our heart, over our families. Um, Christ has made it so you are more than a conqueror, even when you're getting beat up on, <laughs> even when you're going through trial and tribulation. You are already a conqueror on a level that most people can't even perceive. Why is that? Because the sin problem has been removed and taken away from you. I want you to know, I want you to be convinced in your heart and in your spirit that God is fighting for you. It's not you just trying. God is fighting for you. In that passage we read here in Romans, the second, I would say third of Romans chapter number eight, there are seven arenas, um, if you'll allow me to use that as an example, in which God fights for you. There are, let me, seven ways <clears throat> shown to you in this passage how God is, is fighting for you. I want to move through them quickly. Uh, many of you will have um, known it uh, or have heard it taught, preached before. Uh, this is the kind of thing, it gets better the more you live it, the more you say it, it sinks in. We desperately need to remind ourselves. First of all, the passage said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Here is the, the arena of where God is fighting for you. God protects you. And the nature of protection is when it is successful, you don't even know that you were protected. And I want to be the voice of spiritual of, uh, joy in your life, saying God has protected you from things you can't even imagine. God is fighting for you. Psalms 118 and 6 if the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. And then the psalmist asked this question, what can man do to me? What can man do? The first arena in which God is fighting for you is in protection. Um, we celebrate God's protection, whether we're children or whether we're adults, whether we're you know, with small things or large things, we celebrate God's protection. Um, I don't know if you've ever had little kids in the house, and I don't know if your little kids ever watch Veggie Tales, um, but here's the Veggie Tales song, my favorite Veggie Tales song. Um, God is bigger than the boogeyman. Let me let me back up. You were feeling kind of sleepy, but you couldn't close your eyes because the room was getting creepy. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. I actually like that song. Uh, what, what am I trying to say here? This is an arena. Whether or not you were your best today, God was fighting for you today. He was protecting you. Whether or not you did everything you're supposed to do today, God was protecting you in ways you can't even imagine. This new year is not just about what we do for God. Let's be reminded of how God is working for us. 
Firstly, he's protecting you. And when God protects you, you've got it made in the shade. There's no reason to fear anything that can happen to this body because to live is Christ, to die is gain. You are in his hand. Underneath are the everlasting arms. The second arena where God works on your behalf, he is fighting for you, is shown in this passage, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here is the arena in which God is working for you. I'm not always working for God, but God is working for me. God provides for our needs. Uh, again, back to the psalmist. Never seen the righteous forsaken or <clears throat> uh, their seed, his seed begging bread. God provides for you. When God commits through covenant to his people, there is nothing going to happen outside of his formative and intentional will. It's not to say you avoid all the raindrops. You don't. That's to say God multiplies every circumstance toward your good. God has weighed it. God has used it. And in some way, the chaos of life, the uncertainty of tragedy and loss and sickness and disease, God uses it. He doesn't say it's all good. He doesn't. He says it all works for the good. You may have gone through a certain type of sickness. It wasn't good. You may have lost a loved one. It wasn't good. Life, death, <laughs> uh, aging bodies, physical illness, illnesses, disease is part of life. It's not all good. But God is all good and he lets it work together for our God. The second arena where God was working for you today, whether or not you were doing anything for him, is God was providing for you. Now here's the third arena, just from this little passage that I kind of randomly uh, fell upon today, um, is shown to us in the scripture. Um, verse 33, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Whether or not I was working for God today or you were working for God, how was God working for us? This third area, God is the one who purifies me. God is the one who washes away my sins. And I, having been purified by God, have no other judge I need to fear. Do you see? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Why is this so important? Well, uh, the role of Lucifer and his minions is to bring accusation against you as though he were your adversary before judgment. Revelations 12 and 10. He brings accusations against the believer, against the Christian. The Bible says he accuses them day and night before our God. Every flaw, every sin, every shortcoming, every dumb thing you've ever said, and you've said at least three dumb things, trust me. Um, on and on we go, who purifies us of our sin? I can repent, but I can't purify myself. I can apologize, but I can't purify myself. The third way in which God is working for me, whether or not I had a good day, whether or not I walked in victory and said seven hallelujahs before the sun went, came up, uh, 
God is the one who washes my sins away. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. I love that. I love that. The fourth way, here we are, first part of the year, thinking of all we needed to do work for God. Let's take a moment and let's praise him for what he's doing for us because he's doing a whole lot more for us than we're doing for him. The fourth area in which God fights for you is shown to you uh, in verse number 34. Uh, who is to condemn? Rhetorical question. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? This can be a difficult image because the language used to help us understand the dual nature of Almighty God, that he was both eternal and the man Jesus Christ, that language um, can cause us to have a wrestling uh, when we try to pretend to understand every uh, spectrum, every issue, every consideration of the Godhead. Uh, but here is the reality. Christ's perfect life is the intercessor for your imperfect life. His perfect life is that which intercedes on my behalf. Remember Abraham praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. Is there, is, is there not so many righteous, he asks? And the Lord says, yes, if there's any righteous, if there's any righteous, if there's one intercessor, someone who can stand in the gap, the perfect life of Christ intercedes for my imperfect life every day. Whether or not I've been doing good, whether I prayed like I should today, whether I did any work for the Lord, whether I encouraged my brothers and sisters, whether, whether I was a lazy bum, whether I was a carnal jerk, you get the idea. He was working for me even if I was off living my worst life. He was working for me because his perfect life is the intercessor, stands in the gap for all of my sin. First uh, John 2, uh, this is uh, the last living apostle writing. And I always emphasize this because once you understand this, you will read the epistles of John 100% different. It's first, second, third John. This is after all the other apostles have died. He's the last living apostle. John is. If he has any theological axis to grind, he can do it now and no one can refute him. He can define what the church is going to be. He can disagree with Paul. He can disagree with James. He can write in his epistles, Paul, you talk too much about faith. And James, you talk too much about works. He can settle it for all. And what does he do? Instead, he emphasizes commitment or, or warnings against Gnosticism and a life of love and consecration for God and others. Um, this is 1 John 2 and 1. If anyone, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we sin, I didn't say it. Now you can accuse John of trying to create a easy grace if you want to. He's the one who said it. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remember Jesus with the a woman uh, caught in the act of adultery, and um, he writes on the ground, and all her accusers leave, and 
Um, he asked woman, this is John 8, woman, where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. And he says this, and, and many of you guys can quote it. This is profound and important. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Try again. Try again. Did he pronounce her perfect? No. Keep trying. Did he say the battle was done? No. Keep trying. Did he say your neighborhood is going to all of a sudden celebrate you and you're going to start a church called uh, Crazy Women of the World Unite? No. <laughs> he, he's simply saying, try again. Go and sin no more. Try again. Try again. So it is the love of God uh, that he is our intercessor. So the fourth manner in which Christ was working for me, whether or not I was working for him, is his perfection stood in the gap of all my imperfection and I have an advocate with the Father Most High. The fifth arena, I'm moving quickly here, the fifth arena of God's work for us um, is shown to us here in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? If you can imagine Paul writing this, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I've written some. I, I wish I had written more, but I've written some. But I know sometimes if you write something you really like, you have to, it's like you want to exalt in it. And I've been guilty of grabbing my laptop and running into the other room and telling my wife, you've got to listen to this and blah, 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 blah. Isn't that awesome? And she said, uh, did you get the groceries I asked you to get? No, moving on. <laughs> it's almost as though the Apostle Paul is exulting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Here, here's the deal. The manner in which Christ is working for you, whether or not you're working for him, is he's preserving you. If you were left in your own strength, uh, you would be destroyed. The, the trial that was going to destroy you did not destroy you. Why? Because he preserved you. He preserved you. He preserved you. Jeremiah 31 and 3, God says, I have loved you with what? An everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Who shall separate? That word separate literally means to cut off. Uh, so you could actually... If you wanted to create a more visceral image, who can amputate you from the love of God? Who can cut you away from the, lo the, lo the love of God? And he goes to these, he makes this list of uh, increasing uh, dramatic dangers. Tribulation? No. Distress? No. Tribulation means to be squeezed. I mean, if you look at the literal uh, etymology of the word, to be squeezed. Distress means a narrow place. You're stuck. You're distressed in a narrow place. How about persecution? Could suffering because of your faith cause you to be separated from the love of God? Absolutely not. He will be with you. Famine? How about nakedness? That which has more than just clothes and shelter has an element of embarrassment to it. Can embarrassment separate you from the love of God? Uh, danger, and finally sword, uh, this is to take your life. You can't survive too many uh, encounters with a sword. <laughs> um, can that separate you? No. He is preserving you. He is preserving you. That's how God is working for, whether or not you did anything for his kingdom today, he was working for you. Whether or not I did anything for of eternal purpose today, he was working for me. Oh, I'm so glad. 
to, to, to have him on my side because, as the writer says, if he's for us, who can be against us? Two more, real quick. Lastly, uh, this is number six. Here's the scripture, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Um, this is an image of what God is is doing with us. He is forming us into something. He's the potter, we're the clay. He is preparing us, do you see? God is working with you. He is preparing you. We're not just barely making it here. It's like uh, the psalmist in Psalm 60, 12 says, with God, we will do valiantly. With God, we will do valiantly. I love that passage. You are more than conquerors. Christ is working in you. He's working in you. Whether or not you and I did any work for him today, he was working for us. And then lastly, uh, this is verse 38 and 39. That I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is sure of something. He is convinced of something. Nothing can separate you. This is spoken, spoken over us. It, even if you haven't been tested yet, this is spoken over you. Um, one of the things I've been talking about started last Sunday, and I want it to be part of our church culture. Every Sunday, we end the service. We don't just slip out. We find someone, and we speak promise over them. We speak victory over them. We speak life over them. Every time we come together in the body of Christ, we end by just breathing life over each other, speaking promise over each other. Every service, we, we breathe that promise. That's what the Apostle Paul's doing for us. You haven't, you haven't, you may not have faced battles with life and death and angels or rulers or things present to come, height, depth, any creation, separation, kung fu, karate, shakalaka. You may have not faced any of it, but this is still spoken over you. Do you see? It's spoken over you. I am sure none of this stuff, none of it, height, depth, creature, you get the idea. None of it can separate you from the love of God. Well, you don't know what I've done. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You don't know where I've been. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Extremes of existence, existential extreme. That's neither death nor life. Extremes of spiritual oppression, angels or rulers. Extremes of vast reaches of time, things present or things to come. Extremes of enemies, nor powers, powers of this earth. Extremes of space, neither height nor depth. Extremes of creation. Nothing else in all of creation is able to separate you from the love of God. So seven promises, seven promises. Whether or not I did any work for God today, he was working for me. Seven arenas of God's work in my life. I may have been spiritually lazy from dawn till dusk. I may haven't prayed since my wife beat me up last time. <laughs> I, you understand what I'm saying? I may be a great big waste of religious space, but God's working for me. He's working by protecting me, and God is working by protecting you. Do you see? 
God is working by providing for me and God is working by providing for you. God is working by purifying me and honey, I need purification. I mean, not as bad as you, but I need purification. He's doing it for me. Fourth, he's interceding for me. His perfect righteousness in the stead of all my imperfect righteousness. He, so that is his prayer. That image of prayer, intercession. Number five, he preserves me. Things are not going to destroy me. He preserves me from storm. He preserves me from famine. He preserves me from disease. He prepares me. He's doing something in me. I'm not just a nothing. When he's done with me, I'm going to be more than a conqueror in his hand. And finally, he has spoken his promises over me. Things that I faced are things I have yet to face. It's not going to separate me. God has breathed over me his life and the chaos has to begin to back away because he has made all things new. I want you to celebrate in your life what God has done for you. I want you to celebrate in his promise what God has accomplished for you. This matters, my brothers and sisters, because it changes you from the guilty mindset of, oh, I've got to do better to the praise mindset of, I could never do for you what you've done for me. Do you see the difference? One is the role of the slave. The other is the love slave. I choose to be here. My attitude's different. Mark me as one who stays, not because I'm obligated, but because I choose to. Whether or not I've done anything great for your kingdom, you're working in me, through me, and for me every day. I could never do for God what God has done for me. I could not even offer one grain of sand against the eternity of God's creation for God, what he has done for me. That's the real talk. But here is the good news about it all. Because it was in his heart to do it, it's not just for me. It's also who he is. Does that make sense? This is why over and over in the scripture, scores of times, you hear this phrase, he did it for his name's sake. The issue isn't whether or not I'm worthy. I'll go ahead and settle that now. I'm not worthy. Nor you. The issue is it's in his heart. He is a loving father. He is a good, good father. He is a loving savior. It's in his heart to do it. Be changed by his heart. Be changed by what he has done for you. Be motivated by his great work of grace. And start small, but do something for him. Start small, but do something for him. What he's done for me, what he's done for you is overwhelming. Let's do something back uh, for him. Lord Jesus, I pray for every individual who is with us right now or watching this moment. I'm praying, Lord God, that you would be with us, that you would help us see with hearts of thanksgiving and eyes of praise uh, your great accomplishment for us. We have received the promise that the angels sought to look into. We have received the promise that the saints of generations gone sought to look into. We have received your holy presence in our heart. And we are able to stand in the confidence of your promise and know that we are yours 
and you are ours. We are connected, committed. We open our spirit. We embrace your way. We seek to plant your word deep in our heart, in our mind. Lead us by your spirit. Guide us. Don't let us be religiously lackadaisical. Don't let us be spiritually apathetic. Don't let us stay at home and hide in our little spiritual isolation and then wonder why there's weakness in our soul. We've starved our soul from the fellowship of communal praise, worship, and encouragement. Don't let that be us, oh God. But let us find a community of faithful people. Let us find a church. Let us find a house of worship. And let us join together in a, 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 a chorus, as it were, a gathering, a unified praise, uh, a one mind and one accord. Uh, like on the day of Pentecost, to join together and exalt you and be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Real quick, uh, service schedule, uh, two services at First Church, 9 at 15 and 11 a.m. Uh, we have uh, service in Spanish at 2, service in French at 2, Life Center and uh, Sanctuary respectively. Spanish in Concord Campus, uh, 11 a.m. and English 2 p.m. God bless you all. Early prayer, if you want to get the links to that, it's on the website, firstchurchclt.com. Um, early, early prayer, 630 to 7.30. And uh, it's not real time constrained. It sometimes goes longer than that. Um, starting this Sunday, seven days of prayer and fasting. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day and a great evening in the name of the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.